It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you're having a great week as we close this out. We're in the second half. Senator John Barrasso will be with us shortly. Uh, He was in that hearing, the Foreign Relations Committee hearing with Secretary of State Blinken. Now with these new revelations I'm about to tell you about, I'm wondering how he feels about what Blinken told him, if they're indeed true. Uh, We have a lot of tell-all books coming out. Stephanie Grisham, who was tight with Melania, became press secretary, was was an epic fail is now writing a tell-all book. We have uh, Woodward's tell-all book. You had two others that were up there, only I can fix it, and others. So they're all just blown, trying to blow up Donald Trump, but it doesn't seem to stick. I don't think this one with Woodward will stick either. Uh, it actually makes other people look bad with their, some of their explosive details and the excerpts that are now out there. Uh, so I don't want to sell anybody's book, but I do want to go over some of the things because it, it's all relevant to Afghanistan. So let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I can personally tell you again that when they come in our custody, we don't test them for COVID. We don't vaccinate them. We just release them into the United States. And so, you know, he's, he's requiring United States citizens to get vaccinated. But those people that are entering our country illegally, they don't have to get vaccinated. Brandon Judd runs things at the border, or he's head of the Border Patrol Union. That's the story at our border. It's an invasion. That's one Border Patrol uh, agent's description of what is happening at our southern border. Year to year in August, illegals crossing over the border is up 300% untested, unvaccinated. And the Biden administration is blaming red state governors for delays on the variant and delays and the variant surge. Really? Maybe it's the illegals you keep letting in. Number two. Sir, thank did General Milley do the right thing, sir? Thank you. Thank you, General Milley. Do the right thing. I have great confidence in General Milley. Why? Fury swirling in and around the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff over, the, that's Mark Milley, uh, over the revelations not denied in a new Bob Woodward book that says he was working around the president, undermining the president, showing more loyalty to China than Trump. Why? He saw a rapid cognitive decline, according to him. The former president, really? Have you talked to him lately? That's him. Foolishly, Biden still backs him. Does Biden not know what they're saying about him? Number one. My old buddy Joe Biden has been about as dumb as a rock on foreign policy for 30 years. He's trying to blame the military. General Milley advised him to keep Bagram open and have troops on the ground, not to withdraw. It wasn't Milley who got us out of Afghanistan. It was Joe Biden. And that is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham mixing both our first two topics. So many outsiders tried to tell President Biden his rapid pull out of Afghanistan would spell disaster, but he ignored them. Now we find out even those on the inside with predictions on his own team, including NATO expressing upset over in the spring when they said that he was going to pull out. They requested Biden slow down. The result? He didn't. The result, billions in dollars, loss in military hardware, gone, influence in the region evaporates, and now we have a terror state and Americans caught behind enemy lines. And may I add, allies from our allies caught behind enemy lines. Yesterday we told you about a British 
uh, a British ally, tried to get out. He was a great sniper. He was assassinated in front of his family. Then his family was all killed. Nice. Great job. So I'll start there. President's approval ratings about 42 percent. How is it even that high? It is as low as Trump's were, and you were trying to weigh him down was the media with Russia, 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 uh, trying to get rid of people like Michael Flynn and company seven months in, telling he didn't really win. Russia gave the win. And it was that big distraction and head fake. And then, of course, the special counsel that drove down Trump's ratings. Plus, Trump's a controversial guy to begin with. We all know that. Now Fox News has learned that President Biden's determination to end the war in Afghanistan led him to ignore the advice of military advisors who presented an option, they said, would have provided stability in the waning days of the Afghan conflict. Two sources uh, from the Senate Armed Services Committee last week, uh, this week, uh, last week, um, said that Army General Austin Scott Miller, remember, he was the former commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan. He said that Miller recommended when he was still on the job that President Biden keep 2,500 troops there to provide stability against an insurgent Taliban. Miller's assessed that he said that the Taliban could take over the country much faster than intel assessments say, and that's one to three years. Fox confirmed that General Miller had to, had, was able to present his views to President Biden several times. But guess what? Biden wouldn't hear it. Then Secretary of State Blinken goes and meets with NATO ministers, a longtime aide to Biden. Of course, he's been there for years. He's known him for 30 years. He went to Brussels and he called the president from Brussels after hearing concerns from NATO ministers in a March meeting. His new but this was in his book uh, in the book. The new recommendation was to extend the mission for U.S. troops for a while since they could yield a political since they could get a political settlement by time for negotiations because They were not ready to leave yet. So Joe Biden, not only were outside experts telling him he was wrong, but the people that he nominated, hired, and wanted closest to him were trying to tell him he was wrong. He did not listen. Cut one. Let me tell you about my old buddy, Joe Biden. My old buddy, Joe Biden, has been about as dumb as a rock on foreign policy for 30 years. He's been a disastrous president of the United States. He's trying to blame the military. General Milley advised him to keep Bagram open and have troops on the ground, not to withdraw. It wasn't Milley who got us out of Afghanistan. It was Joe Biden. Joe Biden's the one that pushed us out of uh, Iraq. He's been wrong about everything. So I'm tired of blaming Trump. When Trump left, Bagram was in our hands as Americans, and we had 2,500 troops on the ground. The reason the Taliban are in charge today is because of Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, not the generals. couple of things. He mixed the top two stories, and that's fine. I don't know if this broke by the time he was on primetime last night. But Senator Lindsey Graham, not only did General Milley rumored to have said keep 4,000 troops there, but General Miller on the ground, who since left before the dismount there, McKenzie took over, said you got to leave some people. It's going to be trouble. Taliban's going to take it back. This is what Joe Biden said. Biden was undeterred and explained in colorful language, according to the book, that he felt General strong-armed former President Barack Obama into staying in Afghanistan. Biden, Biden ultimately said he would withdraw remaining troops by August 31st, saying that the setting conditions would only perpetuate an endless war. Listen, this flies in the face of Tony Blinken telling everyone for two days Trump's plan was done, it was implemented, it was in play, I had nothing I could do. He was telling Joe Biden you could do something. So that means almost all his testimony should go into the trash. That's what I asked Senator Barrasso. Now, on the subject of treason and Mark Milley, 
Let's get into this. Because Mark Milley, twice, he does not deny it, called China and said, I know you're hearing about unrest. This is one was called prior to January 6th, one after. But don't worry about it. Democracy can be messy. The book claims that he contacted his counterpart, Defense Secretary Leo, whatever they call him over in, uh, over in China. Uh, they reviewed intelligence that suggested China officials believed the United States was planning to attack. What is he talking about? Planning to attack. How many times have we attacked China? MacArthur wanted to attack China in the Korean War. He got fired because of it. He went on to say, they say, listen, don't worry about it. We're steady over here. Everything's going to be fine. Then he called him again. General Lee, you and I have known each other for five years, General Milley said. Not denied, by the way. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's going to not be a surprise. Fantastic. So now we're going to give a heads up to our enemies before we attack. Fantastic. That's how, that's how Muhammad Ali became champion of the world. He kept saying, I'm going to hit you with my right, then I'm going to hit you with my left. See if you can get your hands up and move your head out of the way. See if that'll work. What war college did he go to? So... A spokesman for the Joint Chiefs, in response to people saying this is treason, said the chairman uh, regularly communicates with chiefs of defense across the world, including China and Russia. These conversations remain vital to improving mutual understanding of U.S. national security. The question is, did he tell the president? And the answer seems to be no. Now, for the second call, we had a different secretary of defense. Former acting secretary of defense Chris Miller to Fox News on these revelations in the book, if true. Pursuit of partisan politics and individual self-interest are a violation of an officer's sacred duty and have no place in the United States. A lesser-ranking officer accused of such behavior would have been relieved of duty pending a thorough independent investigation. As Secretary of Defense, I did not and would not ever authorize such conduct. There you go. Pretty bad. Pretty terrible. General Jack Keane, guy of uh, infinite amount of respect for, doesn't feel this is a big deal. I do. How about Joe Biden, who people are always challenging his competence for obvious reasons? Cut eight. Sir, thank did General Milley do the right thing, sir? Thank you. Thank you. General Milley do the right thing. I have great confidence in General Milley. Why? Your own staff, according to Politico, mutes the television when you're on it. Yesterday, you forgot the name of another world leader. This is the Australian leader. When you were going to announce a new military alliance, a missile defense, with Australia, you forgot his name, and Britain, by the way. You remembered Boris's name. Boris is a, a much easier name to remember. Senator John Kennedy, on where we're at like right now and what he predicts will happen. Cut 13. I know President Biden has said he will stand behind and stands behind General Milley. And maybe that's true for the short term, but I'm going to give you even odds that eventually the White House throws him under the bus. So Marco Rubio accused Milley of being the source of this, Bob Woodward source. Others say he is the source. We, we got that yesterday from Ben Dominich, said he called lawmakers and said, it sounds like Milley talked to Woodward directly. Rubio said, I, th- I, I think it ta- he talked to him. I think he portrayed it that way. I think he told him this wasn't normal. I had to do, it had to do with the good of our country because he wanted to make himself look good. The other report says he feared Trump was suffering serious and mental decline. Trump was pissed. He was upset. I saw him at West Point. I've never seen him so angry. But I didn't see mental decline. I saw anger. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Trey Yinks, we believe, from Afghanistan, where he spoke to the Taliban yesterday. We bring you to Afghanistan next. And then Senator John Barrasso right after that. Uh, Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We need to understand why successive administration made so many of the same mistakes repeatedly. Perhaps most urgently, we need to understand why the Afghan government and military collapsed so precipitously. This rapid collapse laid bare a fundamental fact, that successive administrations lied to the Congress over the years about the durability of Afghan military and governing institutions. And we need to understand why. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. You're talking about uh, the optimism on the surge where you put a a date certain with Barack Obama when he ran on the fact that this is the good war and Iraq was the dumb war. And then you pulled everybody out of Iraq and the ISIS, the JV team came back. And then we had to go into Syria and get rid of them with the next administration. You're talking about an administration. They accused the Trump team, uh, excuse me, the Bush team of pivoting too quick to Iraq, part of the reason was because people at that time thought Iraq was clearly a threat. Uh, They were lying about the weapons inspectors. They kicked him out of the country. They already had nuclear technology. Uh, Who didn't think they were going to be weaponized again? They were a threat to the region, and they never uh, abided by the ceasefire agreement uh, in the original Gulf War in 1992. So they said, we don't want to stay in Afghanistan too long. We just want to get rid of the Taliban, make sure they don't come back. We're going to Iraq. People say, well, we should have doubled and tripled down there. I don't know. That that really wasn't the plan. It was small footprint for Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld, and people seemed to buy into it. Here's Michael Waltz. Uh, he weighed in on uh, what is going on now in Afghanistan. Uh, rather than go back 10 years, 15 years, even five years, cut to. Well, let's call the situation what it is, and it's the largest hostage crisis since 1979 uh, in Tehran. And now you're seeing the administration push in humanitarian aid, uh, which the Taliban are are going to control and distribute. Let's call that what it is, which is ransom. Those eight planes full of Americans and full of our Afghan allies are still, to this day, stuck up in an airport in Mazari Sharif. But, you know, to what the senator and I are getting at is the Biden administration, led by Biden and Blinken, are going down this road of we can work with good and moderate terrorists against the bad terrorists. And let's be clear, and the intelligence is clear, the Taliban equals al-Qaeda. Tom Jocelyn wrote a big column. He wrote the longestwarjournal.com. He's equally critical of both both Republicans and Democrats. There's no difference, he says, between Taliban and al-Qaeda. They are running on the fact that we deserve to be hit on 9-11. They do not run from the fact, they do not run from the fact that it was done and plotted and planned on their soil. They claim to Ambassador Khalilzad and Trump officials that they would not let that happen again. But as Tom Jocelyn, who's watched this war for 20 years, says it's impossible. They don't believe that. And now all these terrorists are getting together, evidently a fist fight or knife fight or whatever they were having within the palace because they're all jockeying for power and they want to all take credit for, get this, defeating NATO and the U.S. Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's uh, and the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He leads that organization. Said this to me on Fox and Friends. Cut three. 
But at the end of the day, this isn't rocket science. Uh, the Blinken uh, State Department and Biden administration should have known that uh, civil war was going to break out as we left Afghanistan. And unfortunately, instead of setting up and giving our allies, the, the Panjir resistance and so many other groups, handing them the weapons, handing them the ability to defend themselves in this known civil war that was coming, we actually handed the weapons to the Islamists. We handed them to our enemies. I mean, it's just completely <coughs> absurd. We have dropped the people off. Off a cliff, and now we've allowed this civil war to to be their decimation over the next few months. And uh, yeah, and by the way, I didn't know this, but 18 million people in Afghanistan, the number was about the same, maybe even more in Iraq. They totally depend on the government for food and shelter. That's how they do it with authoritarian regimes and uh, socialist regimes. But so every day that goes by, and people don't get their food, their water. It becomes a panic situation. So there's no time to high-five. If you're listening to me in, in Kabul, people need to be able to eat. So they're asking for more billions from the U.S. because we should have a big heart because we have a big country. I'm not for that. I mean, we might know the arteries that could bring food and goods to these cities directly. That would be something I'm interested in. But not dropping it in Kabul. Not dropping it at Hamid Karzai Airport. I would not be for that. And they're going to try to say that that was part of the deal, the dismount, why they let us out. They One of the things they said was, uh, well, you know, we let all your people out with very little trouble. Now pay us. Exactly what everyone thought. Why are they letting people get out because of that? Do they, they also should pay us. Perhaps pay us for the death, the, the wounding of 20 and the killing of 13 Americans. Because you said you're going to watch security. Clearly, there was more than just a breach. So uh, it looks like we're having trouble connecting with Trey Yanks, but bottom of the hour, John Barrasso, and at which time we're going to bring up to him what this book and revelation with Fox has learned about what Joe Biden knew about the possibility of that army collapsing ahead of time. So these are some of the things we're looking at. Here, here is uh, what Rand Paul said about giving aid to Afghanistan. Does this make sense? Cut seven. Don't we have some prohibition against giving aid and comfort to the enemy? The $64 million, though, is the tip of the iceberg. There's still about $10 billion out there that was designated for the Afghan government. Can you pledge today, without equivocation, that the Biden administration will not release any of this money to the Taliban? Uh, absent the Taliban, making good on the uh, commitments and expectations of the uh, international community that I've outlined uh, previously, that's correct. Maybe we could deduct a fee for the weapons they took. Between 50 and $80 billion worth. So... Are you familiar with that? Then not only do we have the international humiliation of leaving Afghanistan and having them say they beat us, we're writing them checks so they can eat and get clothes. We're giving them the cash. Senator John Barrasso next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. How meticulous was the planning for the Trump administration declared uh, May 1st uh, withdrawal? Uh, thank you, Congressman. Uh, we, uh, we inherited a deadline. We did not inherit a plan. So <laughs> no, uh, no plan at all. Uh, it's amazing that it wasn't much, much worse. That is Congressman Sherman giggling and him, uh, Anthony Blinken, thanking him for the easy question because it gives him an opportunity to blame Trump for what happened in Afghanistan. But nothing could be further than the truth. And the new re- truth and, and the new reports back that up. It turns out that they were trying to warn President Biden, not some right wing group about what could happen in Afghanistan if we leave. But the guy named Anthony Blinken said our allies are concerned at a NATO summit in Brussels. He called him back. Biden doesn't budge. General Miller and tells armed services that he had many talks with Joe Biden about the danger and how quick the Taliban government could fall to keep, please, keep 2,500 troops. He did not listen. General Austin, now Secretary of Defense Austin, similar urgings, did not listen. But you still want to use every opportunity to insincerely blame Donald Trump. Senator John Barrasso, Senator Barrasso, does it surprise you that Blinken, Austin, Milley, and Miller were all trying to tell him not to do what he did? This says a lot about Joe Biden and Joe Biden's willingness to ignore the best advice. He got it also from his national security team, but he always feels that he's the smartest guy in the room, knows all the answers, and uh, kind of damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And he has put us in a very, very dangerous place as a nation. He's put our men and women in uniform around the world in nation. He ha- our, our friends around the world are furious and uh, they're enraged by all this. But we have a very emboldened enemy, not just in Afghanistan, which is now going to be a magnet for terrorists, but also like, people can smell weakness. Russia is up. China is up. North Korea. I think we're going to see this in a number of places. Uh, Iran All of those folks, I believe, are going to push against President Biden, who is weak. He is wobbly. And um, he really he called this an extraordinary, extraordinarily successful that it's dishonest that for him it may be delusional. He's got 42 percent approval rating now, despite a media that just looks the other way. I'm looking at footage. I don't want to get off topic too much, but I'm looking at footage now of 7000 people. I think it's more. Underneath the bridge yesterday at our southern border, we welcomed, unwelcomed, 207,000. They think 100,000 got away at our border last month, in a month in which everything's usually slower. And it's up 300% year to date. And the media doesn't want to report that. They want to move on from Afghanistan. They want to talk about Trump and these sensationalistic uh, uh, stories. And he's still got 42% approval rating. But I just find it astounding that in Brussels, Blinken uh, called up Biden, and he starts, he said, he goes, uh, he said, I called the president from Brussels after hearing concerns from NATO ministers in a March meeting. According to the book, the new recommendation was to extend the mission, this according to our allies, with the U.S. troops mm-hmm. for a while to see if we could yield a political settlement by time for negotiations. And he said no. But what did he, what did he say to you almost every time? It's Trump's fault. He put together a plan, and we pushed back that deadline, but that's as much as we could do. Well, you have a couple of things there because you started with the border as well. I have an op-ed on foxnews.com 
uh, about Biden and Democrats being the party of chaos. Afghanistan is the thing that really people have focused on in the drop in the poll numbers for the president. But you talk about chaos at the border, loss of national security because of the border not being secure. People are getting clobbered by inflation prices, paying more for gas and groceries. You see crime in the cities going up. All of these things show a party out of control led by a president who really uh, is not fit at this point. Based on what I saw in Afghanistan, there's been a dereliction of duty on his part, uh, not fit for office. True. Now, uh, what does it do for how you take Anthony Blinken down, knowing that he was he was urging the president to listen to NATO and back off on the deadline? He never indicated that at all to you. No, he had, you know, and several things have happened. One is. They they say they're trying to blame President Trump, but they've reversed a number of very successful President Trump policies, like the Remain in Mexico policy. They reversed and went back into the World Health Organization, which we know is complicit with China when it came to coronavirus. They've caused inflation in gas prices by basically killing the Keystone XL pipeline, things that any, things that President Trump was for, they were against. They're back in the, pres, in the Paris Climate Agreement. So they could have very wisely said, look, let us think about this whole plan and the timeline. You know, Blinken told us, no, he was on this timeline. We still don't know how many people are trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. Uh, we can't get a straight answer from this White House. You know, the third week in August, they said there were 11,000 or more Americans still in Afghanistan. That's it was this day before President Biden said, and we're not leaving until we get every one of them out. Fast forward a couple of to the next week, the last day in August. What did the president say? We're out, except we only got 50. We got 5,500 out. Well, if there were 11,000 the week before, they got 5,500 out. That leaves at least 5,000. Then he said, well, we got 90% out. Well, that would leave at least 600 in there. And we know that since the first of this month, because our troops have been going gone for 15 days, we only got 37 out. There are men and women of the United States, our citizens, left behind for the first time in history. We've never left anyone behind. We know they're trapped in the tarmac in a, a number on planes. Masri Sharif. North of Kabul, Afghanistan. Yeah, what, eight hours by the ring road north of, north of Kabul. They, and what did, the, what did the spokesman yesterday from the White House said? We've used every lever. Wait, aren't these the same guys that said they had leverage over the Taliban? They said they're businesslike, they're professional. These are terrorists. Yeah. It is, and they need to be designated as a foreign terrorist organization when you look at the fact that there's a $10 million price tag on the head of their man who's in charge of security, Haqqani, who just happens to have the same last name of the Haqqani Network, which is a foreign terrorist organization. Uh, these guys are the worst. So in China, and we that know— that applies both to the terrorist and to the Biden administration. I agree. I hear you. 90-minute uh, conversation the president had with President Xi, and he asked him to go to a summit, and President Xi actually said no. Chinese officials have also made it abundantly clear they won't accept any of the— uh, uh, any type of meeting. Evidently, John Kerry was over talking to China. What an embarrassment. To speak with them about climate change, President Xi's senior officials would only speak with Kerry, according to Axios, by video call, and he's in China. China's meeting with the Taliban in China, but they wouldn't see the former Secretary of State. How much more humiliation is this administration going to put us through? Well, what they're... <laughs> What is they want to hide this from the American people. They don't want the American people to, to see this because sm- China smells the weakness of Joe Biden, the individual, the person and the president. 
what kind of concessions is John Kerry going to make to China? We know what he made to Iran. He made permanent concessions for temporary relief. And now China, he's asking China to do this on climate and that on climate. China is not going to do anything to undermine their competitiveness, period. But John Kerry and Joe Biden are willing and offering to undermine the competitiveness of the United States of America. It's very distressing. I mean, what's John Kerry going to say? You, you cut down your, slow down your coal production and burning coal, then we're going to let you have Taiwan. I mean, what kind of ridiculous things is this administration going to surrender on next? They don't even realize their arrogance. So the other big story is what's happening with General Milley in this book, in the Bob Woodward book. And it comes out, he had two conversations with China, never informed President Trump at the time. He also working behind the back, telling others that he thinks that the president's cognitively declining. And he went around the chain of command, really prompted, according to reports, from Speaker Pelosi calling up saying, take the nuclear codes away from him. When this story was relayed to Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, here's what he told us. Cut 14. There are only two national command authorities. It's the president and the secretary of defense. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs is not in that line. He should not be calling his counterpart or anybody else out there without informing the president of the United States on what he was doing. So they violated, even Esper violated that. The one who should have picked up the phone is Esper if he wanted to do it. And then he should have told the president, he should have actually asked the president beforehand and said this is what he was going to do. I mean, that just shows some very candidly, Brian, some real incompetence on the part of Esper and Milley as well. You're in the Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Barrasso. What questions do you have? A couple. One is when you started by talking about a president's, president's cognitive decline, I thought you were talking about Joe Biden. I, I mean, I really did. <laughs> what I you're talking about is the prior administration. And look, I have a lot of concerns about what I'm reading in the news. Of course, this I will always worry somebody trying to sell a book. We need to get to the truth on this. We need accountability. We need to get General Milley in front of the Senate under oath and find out exactly what happened. When I hear about calls to, to Nancy Pelosi, she's not in the chain of command. Um, the general's credibility is clearly on the line. It's extremely concerning. We have civilian leadership by, under the Constitution for the military for a reason. Going outside the chain of command is absolutely wrong, and I think it'd be an extremely grave error. I want to see exactly what happened under oath. I know, the, and I, I think you're going to get it. Yeah, you're going to get him on the 26th, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Senator John Barrasso, let's see. This country's in some very tenuous hands right now, and I could not be more concerned. It sounds like you feel the same way. Thanks for joining us. Well, I know I you have to run. Is, yeah, I, I think the world's a much more dangerous place now than it was even a month ago. Yeah. Win back the Senate. I'd feel a lot better. That's where my efforts are. We got to break up this freight train of Pelosi, Schumer and Biden that's leading us to the to basically a world of socialism uh, and and being dependent on the rest of the world rather than being globally dominant as we have been for centuries. He's chairman of the Senate Republican Conference. Senator Brasso, thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Hey, uh, welcome back, everybody. I started to send a bra so you can hear our exercise tea got. And for the most part, people from Wyoming kind of laid back. Why not? You've been to Wyoming. It's fantastic. There seems to be no rush, no hustle and bustle. Uh, I understand it. But he is incensed about what's happening at the highest levels of our government. Who wouldn't be? Now, just to push back on what I'm saying, I'm really concerned about General Milley feeling as though he knows more than the president of the United States. Because, look, if I'm President Biden, if you're going to do that to Trump, even though he's probably a Democrat, General Milley, and judging by the and by the concern he has for white supremacy in our country and the fact he wants to find out about where white rage comes from, I am also uh, want to be a little bit balanced. Here's what Senator Tom Cotton told us on Fox and Friends. He is not concerned. He doesn't even know if this is true. And he, I guess he knows General Milley. Cut 20. Cut 20. I know he will address it and will ensure that he addresses it. But this is one of those claims, obviously, that seems a little far-fetched, the idea that an American military general is going to warn an adversary if an attack is coming. As you say, when Donald Trump was never even thinking about a military attack against China, the whole thing is pretty far-fetched. True. Pretty far-fetched. And this is, this is what he went on to say about the book. But it, he doesn't deny that he called general, the, the head of China, the, the Secretary of Defense, his counterpart. He does not deny it at all. Cut 19. 19. This book raises some serious concerns. I have to say some of the allegations seem somewhat far-fetched to me. But General Milley and Secretary Austin are going to be testifying in front of Congress in just a few days, and we'll address these concerns. Uh, We don't want to jump to conclusions yet, uh, but we'll certainly uh, vet them and see exactly what happened. So, uh, So we'll find out. We'll pursue that because it all has to do with what's going on in Afghanistan. We've been efforting right now to go to Kabul. Where Trey Yinks, our fine reporter, has uh, determined to get in there and find out what's happening now that the Taliban are in control. Trey, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Got you. Trey, great job going back in there. What have you noticed about Kabul, the Kabul before the Taliban took over and, and now? Well, look, the Taliban is in control of the entire country, and they are implementing Sharia law. They are being very strict about their rules, which include men and women not being able to work together, banning music, stopping people from going about their everyday lives, especially if they're women. And the city is tense. I mean, it's crowded. I'll tell you that. There are cars everywhere, people in the streets, children begging. But there are parts of Afghanistan that will never return for the near future. And that's something that people are extremely concerned about because this was a city, a capital filled with culture, arts, and technology. And now it's really, literally, in many cases, being brought back to the Stone Age. Have you noticed Americans approaching you, maybe, and saying, listen, we're looking to get out of here? There's a lot of people approaching us and reaching out who previously helped Americans, uh, special immigrant visa holders, translators, people who helped the United States during this 20-year war. We met a man today who applied for a special immigrant visa, and he worked for five years as a U.S. government translator here in Kabul, and he's afraid. He's afraid for his life, for his family, and for people that he knows because the Taliban is being very clear they will target people who worked with foreigners, who worked with the enemy in the past. So he's applied for a visa to get out of the country, but the process has really shut down following the Taliban takeover of Kabul and of Afghanistan. And so it's very unclear how these people will be able to get out. He actually directly called on President Biden to take action and to help him. 
He said the United States made promises to these Afghans, these vulnerable Afghans who helped the United States over the past 20 years. And he said they're simply not fulfilling those promises. And uh, that must be agonizing for you to hear that. Uh, also, by the fact that uh, it's estimated that 18 million people depend on the government to get food and basic needs. Is there anything the government's doing to deliver food or, or, or aid to any of their now their citizens? Well, look, the World Health Organization, along with other international bodies, they're trying to do everything they can to get supplies into Afghanistan. But the reality is there is one international airport open right now, and that is the previously known as the Hamid Karzai International Airport. The Taliban has renamed it simply to the Kabul International Airport. But this airport is taking a few flights a week to bring aid and humanitarian workers and in some cases, journalists into the country. So there is a small amount of aid coming into Afghanistan, but it nowhere is near enough, and it will require a lot of international attention in the coming weeks and months to ensure simply that the Afghan people don't starve. I mean, it was difficult enough for Afghanistan to survive under the administration of Ashraf Ghani, an administration that was often engaging with the West, with the United States, and was receiving aid money from world powers. And now the Taliban has this sort of delicate bridge to walk. They have to balance international relationships while also balancing a population, learning how to govern a population. Many of the fighters and even leaders that we, we've met here in Kabul are not used to the diplomacy that we see from the West. They're not used to going into meeting rooms and negotiating aid to a country. And now they have to sort of figuratively put on a suit and tie and step into these meetings but their mindset is quite different than that of the international bodies that they'll have to deal with. Trey Yankst uh, reporting from Kabul, one of the few reporters to do it. Trey, stay safe. Thanks so much for your insights. Invaluable. Sure. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, Trey Yanks. We'll check in with him again. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, go to briankilmeade.com. I have the President of Freedom Friday tour coming out. I want to meet you in person. Find out how. Briankilmeade.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Jack Keene at the bottom of the hour, the general, will be joining us as we try to find out what exactly General Milley did or did not do uh, while President Trump was in office. And uh, Chris Wallace standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I can personally tell you again that when they come in our custody, we don't test them for COVID. We don't vaccinate them. We just release them into the United States. And so, you know, he's, he's requiring United States citizens to get vaccinated. But those people that are entering our country illegally, they don't have to get vaccinated. It makes no sense. Brandon Judd, head of the uh, the Border Patrol Union, does not understand what's going on. Do you see those video? Check out the video right now on foxnews.com. 7,000 minimum. 7,000, and they're coming even by greater numbers today, according to Bill Malusian, our reporter on the ground, underneath the bridge in El Paso, Texas. 7,000 people, what do we do with them, including a infant in a carrier and a two-year-old, her two-year-old sister sitting right by. Unbelievable. This, according to one Border Patrol agent, is not a breach. This is an invasion. And don't tell me you care about the pandemic and don't vaccinate over a million people who come to our border illegally. Number two. 
sir. Thank you. 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 They're desperate not to have them answer questions. Fury swirling in and around the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, over the revelation not denied in the new Bob Woodward book that says he was working around undermining and showing more loyalty to China than Trump. Why? He saw a rapid cognitive decline, according to the book, uh, the, uh, in the former president. Foolishly, Joe Biden still backs him. Does President Biden not know what they're saying about him amongst his own staff? Doesn't he know this could be coming right back at him? Number one. My old buddy Joe Biden has been about as dumb as a rock on foreign policy for 30 years. He's trying to blame the military. General Milley advised him to keep Bagram open and have troops on the ground, not to withdraw. It wasn't Milley who got us out of Afghanistan. It was Joe Biden. And that was Lindsey Graham incensed about what's happening. Somebody outside tried to tell President Biden his rapid pull out of Afghanistan would spell disaster. He ignored them. Now we find out he even ignored the predictions of his own team and the urgings of his own secretary of state who was meeting with NATO, who expressed exasperation over the speed in which we were pulling out. Who, who, I ask, was he listening to? Uh, And let's bring in Chris Wallace now. We know he's hosting Fox News Sunday. His book is already a bestseller. Uh, Countdown, Bin Laden, the untold story, the 247-day hunt to bring down the mastermind of 9-11. Chris, what is your take, first off, on what you, if the book is correct, about what Bob Woodward chronicles in his book about General Milley's actions with President Trump? Can can I take a detour here for a moment? Yes. What what, what the hell happened to my... Or, you know, the strings and the orchestra in my introduction. Has your budget been cut? All right. I think we got something. <laughs> How's that? That's much better. All right. Okay, <laughs> now I'm ready to talk. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, you know, look, uh, I obviously in terms of talking to China, he talked to China. I, I, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, I do think from all the stories, and I haven't obviously read the Woodward book yet, but I have read uh, some of the other books at the end. Millie does seem, one, to have gotten too political, and two, to have let too much stuff out. I mean, you know, he's quoted, not necessarily that he spoke to the authors, but he spoke to somebody who spoke to the authors in too many of these books. And I don't know that that's a good look for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. In fact, I do know it's a bad look for the chairman (laughs) of the Joint Chiefs. Having said that, we weren't going to attack China. There was no interest in attacking China. It's not like, you know, we had a secret plan and he then gave it up to the Chinese. So if you're in Milley's position and Mark Esper, when he was defense secretary in October of 2020, did the same thing and you're getting intelligence, hey, the Chinese, the leaders, the political people, the military people somehow, for some reason, have the wrong impression that we may launch a strike, a surprise strike against them. Isn't it a good thing to let them know we have no intention of striking you, so stand down because we don't want to lurch into a war? I understand civilian control, but on the other hand, I, you know, sometimes wars happen not because one side intends to attack another, but because the two sides are, you know, kind of stumble into it. And I would think that would be a good thing. And I suspect we did that with the Soviets over the years, too. Well, a couple of things. Tell the president or tell the secretary of defense. Uh, the former acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, who was there for the second call, he said, pursuit of partisan politics and individual self-interest are a violation of the officer's sacred duty and have no place in the U.S. military. A lesser-ranking officer accused of such behavior would have been relieved of duty pending a thorough and independent investigation. 
As Secretary of Defense, I did not and would not ever authorize such conduct. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? Miller pointed no, out that his chain no. of command goes goes from president of the it goes like this. This is according to Cash Patel, uh, who was um, who was the chief of staff uh, for him. He said the chief uh, the chain of command goes from the president to defense secretary to defense chief, not Milley's position. His uh, according to Cash Patel, the law governing the Joint Chiefs of Staff specifically forbids the chairman from exercising any operational command authority. First of all, there are a lot of people in the Pentagon, and I've talked to some of them, who say that's total spin and BS by Chris Miller. There's a real question as to whether Chris Miller ever should have been the acting Secretary of Defense. And they say that Milley did tell him, and uh, now the Miller comeback is, you know, I don't know if you've seen this. Well, you know, maybe it was in the course of a conversation, but he didn't understand the import of it. So I think there's a certain amount of covering your butt going on here on the part of Miller and and Cash Patel, who came in in the very last moments of the of the administration, uh, and 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 a lot of people in the Pentagon, yes, of course, the president can name whom he wants, thought that they w- were not the right people to be in the positions of power they were in in the Pentagon. Here's what Jen Psaki said yesterday. Cut nine. Broadly speaking, beyond this book, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, any chairman of the Joint Chiefs, has channels to communicate with China and Russia. That those are meant to increase confidence. Those are meant to uh, prevent uh, and deter any um, uh, any action that would be um, that would be unintended. Um, and that is a good thing. I think the whole key is you can do what you want. Just tell people. And it, there was a, there's a sense that he was work, walking behind the work working behind the president's back. Quote: He feared Trump was suffering serious mental decline. Well, you know, and look, it, it, we have to do it in context which is January 6th and Trump's involvement in that. And a lot of people were shaken by the fact that there had been an insurrection, an attempted insurrection, and believed that the president had helped incite it, number one. And number two, uh, you know, I agree with you that I think that Milley got o- over his skis and became too political. And but, but having said that, you know, going behind Trump's back, whether you think it's right or wrong, is not going to disqualify you in the Biden White House, just as a matter of practical politics. Yeah, but keep in mind, the first call is before January 6th. General Jack Keane agrees with you. Cut 21. General Milley's making a phone call to provide reassurances, which is his job. I mean, he's executing his responsibility, and he's doing it in concert with his own advisors and then uh, sharing that with the interagency. I think these are responsible actions that are, mm-hmm. that are being taken. I don't see anything that's undermining uh, the civilian control uh, of the military. If you took the facts that are, I I think, being sensationalized uh, in this report, um, that would be an issue, as as you just regurgitated here. But that is not what the Pentagon uh, is reporting. And here's what he was talking about. Uh, General Lee, you and I have known each other for now for five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Well, thanks. I love this idea of war. Did we call? I mean, uh, it was nice of yeah, Japan but, to call. I guess they got a busy signal before they bombed but, us in Pearl Harbor. How does war Brian, work again? I forgot. The point is, wait, wait. First of all, with all due respect, if I have a choice between General Kilmeade and General Jack Keane, I'm going to go with General Jack Keane. But, uh, but, but, but no, let me no, just wait, finish up. Finish. My, my, point of reading, my point of reading that was the sensational element. That was the part in which he doesn't agree with. No, well, he's saying that, no, but he's saying the sensational part that's in Woodward and Costa's book is wrong. 
In other words, it makes it sound like, you know, we're going to attack them and he's letting the enemy know we weren't going to attack them. Let me ask you a question. If if you and I are neighbors and we're across the street from each other and you for some reason think I'm going to attack you, uh, wouldn't it be in somebody's interest to say, hey, Brian, don't worry about it. Chris isn't going to attack you. So don't don't sit there and get ready for the attack. I mean, you're trying to prevent the two countries from stumbling into a war. We have no intention of ta- of attacking China. I don't. I don't. I really don't get the idea. If we we're going to attack a country, and 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 or th- even thinking of it, obviously it would right. be treason to do what he did. But if we're not going to attack him, he's simply trying to wind down tension so we don't stumble into an inadvertent war. A couple of things. I agree with the first half. He says he has no problem with the chain of command and him circumventing and calling directly. Uh, Chris Miller feels differently. General Jack Keane's coming up in 15 minutes, so I'm going to ask him. The sensational part about it is when he tells him, I will tell you ahead of time, I'm going to attack. That, to me, is a little crazy, don't you think? It's not, but we weren't going to attack. If we were going to attack, it would be outrageous and treasonous, and he should be, you know, he should be brought up on charges. But if we're not going to attack, I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, All right. I've made my point. True. Uh, I would, and I think I've made mine. But I also think the last general that said he wanted to attack China got fired by Harry Truman, and you were not covering that story. Uh, no, I wasn't, but I was covering uh, Countdown 1945. Can we talk? I want to ask you a question. Yes. Have you ever had a book that was number one on the New York Times bestseller list? No. Well, I did. Yeah, the the paperback of Jefferson. Everything else has been number two. Are you number? You you about to be number one? Uh, no, I'm I am number two in the one that came out last yesterday. A number two hardcover nonfiction, number two combined nonfiction uh, hardcover and eBooks. And I got to tell you. I want to be number one. I think, first of all, I, I mean, it would be a pretty cool thing. In addition to which, I've got to tell you, this is really a good book, and I just got an email, I guess I shouldn't be saying this, but I will, from Admiral McRaven, saying that this is the definitive book on the Bin Laden raid. Get so out I of am, here. That no, is I, fantastic. I so I am thrilled about that. And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, Bill McRaven, was the architect of the raid, the head of Joint Special Operations Command, and I think one of the great Americans, one of the great people in America today. And so, my I, honestly, if I had a choice between being number one in the New York Times list and getting that email from Bill McRaven, I'd really like to have both. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Chris, did, did he help you with intel for the book and information? Oh. Yes, absolutely. I know he was on your I, show. I literally could not have written the book without him. I, mean, I, I must have spoken to him for four or five hours. In addition to which, because he knew we were going to do a good, serious, solid job on this, he, he put some of his people who were you know, his top advisors on the helicopter side of it and on various other sides. He got us access to them, and he said to them, talk to Chris Wallace. He's going to tell the story straight. So uh, he was enormously helpful. And, uh, you know, that's we just wanted to get – it's a great story – about an American success as badly as the war in Afghanistan ended, and it did end badly, and as screwed up as our operation was, and it was screwed up, the, 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 the hunt to get bin Laden in 2011 is a, is a case study of the intel, the political and the military communities working together uh, to get it right and to accomplish our main mission in going to Afghanistan, which was to kill bin Laden and decapitate al-Qaeda. True. Uh, so, yeah, I think you can be number one. Who's standing in your way, Mark Levin? Yes, he is. Okay. I, that, I think they're, you're two wonderful people. I just wish uh, everyone comes out unscathed. 
I think I think the big story is two Fox people dominating the New York Times poll. It must be driving them crazy. Uh, that's I think that's true. That's an added benefit. A couple but of Mark things. Levin's Just my last question one. to you. Mark Levin has been number one for weeks. Can't can't you give the kid a chance? Just one, <laughs> I only want one week. I just well, one week. He's had four or five weeks as number one. Just you know, he can pass it on. Pass quick the baton. Th- quick thing, I want to get your take on this report. Yes, the Fox News do some original reporting on this. That uh, Anthony Blinken, when meeting in Brussels with NATO allies, uh, called up the president of the United States, his buddy for 20 years, and says, we have recommendations to extend the mission with U.S. troops for a while to see if we could yield a political settlement to buy more time. Biden undeterred and explained in colorful language that he felt his generals were strong-arming the former, strong-armed the former president, Obama, and he won't be dissuaded. Also, the fact that General Miller, who is the commander on the ground, different from the uh, acting secretary of defense, uh, said we, uh, the timeline will be a lot quicker than Intel is letting you know if you pull out all the troops, the Taliban will take this right over. General Austin also urged him to stay longer. What do you, ask, what do you take from this? Well, I, I did not know about the Blinken story. I knew about the Pentagon. I've talked to a number of top people there, and they've been very open about that. In fact, General Milley, uh, in a meeting in April, says we can't go down and leave as fast as you want. I mean, we can if you order us to, but it's a huge mistake, and the Taliban is going to come. Here's the deal. In in 2009, when Obama comes in and Biden is vice president and Obama decides to surge troops there, uh, Biden was absolutely against it and said at the time, they're, they're rolling you in the Pentagon. And, and and incidentally, the bin Laden raid, and we report this, a lot of this stuff for the first time, Biden, absolutely, he and Bob Gates, the two people against launching the raid against bin Laden, uh, Biden has, since 2009, has said we need to get out. And, you know, he wasn't in charge. He got overruled by the president. Now he's in charge, and he's made a decision. I think it was a mistake, but, you know, as as somebody once said, Elections have consequences. Forty-two percent approval rating. Uh, there's a reason, even though the press ninety percent of it's friendly to him. We've had an invasion at the southern border. The inflation's going through the roof, and forty-two percent that says a lot. Chris, congratulations on the book, Countdown: Bin Laden, the Untold Story of the Two Hundred Forty-Seven Day Hunt to Bring the Mastermind of Nine Eleven to Justice. Go get him, Chris. See you Sunday. The definitive story about the Bin Laden raid, according to Admiral McRaven. Awesome. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. A couple of things. I didn't really talk about the border yet, and a couple of minutes left because I always go late with Chris. I wanted to talk about it a little bit because right now you have year to year border penetrations, apprehensions up over 300 percent. That doesn't count the third that we don't get that don't want to be caught. Here is Congressman Michael Johnson on that. Cut 27. There's no limit on their appetite for amnesty. They, they want to just erase the rule of law. As we know, we have an open southern border. Steve, we have people coming in from at least 150 countries, according to Border Patrol Customs agents. And, and, and we have hardened criminals coming across that border. And the Democrats do not care. That's the point. They are on record over and over. We had a 13-hour Judiciary Committee hearing uh, on Monday. And they went on record time and time again. They, they do not care. 
So when you look at the numbers and you see some of this video, I really urge you, go on foxnews.com and check out this video. Bill Malusian got it. We have a drone team. And you see, I think it's more than 7,000 just sitting under a bridge. Number one, who feeds them? You know, who clothes them? Who takes care of their facilities? We do. We're paying tons of money for people from other countries to flood our border. And this administration doesn't want to talk about it and the media won't pick up on it. And it drives me nuts. How is that not a story? Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Find out where I'll be with the president and Freedom Fighter. I'll be in Jacksonville, Punta Vedra B specifically. Orlando, be over in West Virginia, uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And also in Clearwater, Florida. So President Freedom Fighters, go to BrianKillMe.com, click on it, and I'll see you there. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. America is not Myanmar. America is not Guinea. Um, if it's true, General Milley, if it's true, General Milley broke the chain of command, but much worse, he broke the inviolate rule of civilian control of the military. And every defender, Democrat or Republican, of constitutional government should be outraged. And what Senator Kennedy was referring to is the report in his book that's not out yet, but uh, the, as far as I can tell, the general has not denied it. He'll be testifying uh, in a week. Uh, claims that Milley contacted his counterpart in China after he reviewed intelligence that suggested China believed the U.S. was planning to attack, which no one's really planning to attack China that I haven't saw. The authors of the book claim that Milley contacted a second time to reassure him the U.S. would not make any type of advance on attack of China in any form. We're 100% steady. Everything's fine. But democracy can be sloppy. He went on to say, General Lee, that you and I have known each other for five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It won't be a surprise. General Jack Keene, this is a lot to digest. I know you weighed in on it yesterday. You didn't think it was that big of a deal. Retired four-star general yourself, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, but most importantly, Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, what do you make of this and these claims? Well, first of all, I mean, certainly, if, if you accept this sensationalized story at face value, which I absolutely refuse to do after watching sensationalized stories for four years running against the Trump administration where the overwhelming majority of them turned out to be false, I'm absolutely stunned that so many people just take this at face value given what we've learned. So I, I have a healthy dose of skepticism for the story itself. Um, but, it, it, and, but if the story was true, that would be, by definition, undermining civilian control of the military. I don't dispute that. And then actions uh, should be taken as a result of it, certainly. But here's what I do know. Uh, number one, uh, it was Secretary Esper who initiated this. He uh, read the intel reports, and it looks like the Chinese are getting spun up here, you know, in terms of the uh, <clears throat> concern about the United States rhetoric, anti-rhetoric on China, and also uh, troop deployments uh, that are taking place in the region. Then we will get more aggressive with freedom of navigation, making certain the Chinese understand, you know, that <clears throat> we're a Pacific nation. So he says to his policy guy, uh, who is uh, undersecretary for policy in the, in the Department of Defense. He said, listen, send a back channel to the Chinese and tell them that uh, there's no reason to be concerned, in so many words. Calm the waters. I don't know what was actually said, 
uh, in the back channel, but that was it. That was the intent. And the Chinese came back and said, thank you. Then Millie followed up sometime later, a week or so later, uh, with a phone call himself. Now, Millie's phone call uh, involved preparation and coordination with the interagency, uh, uh, and that was done before the call. CIA is participating in it. Certainly, they're giving them insight as to what's going on with the Chinese thinking here. And then uh, I don't know whether it was a phone call or a video conference, to tell you the truth, but I do know uh, that Millie said there were 15 people in the room during that phone call. So it's hardly anything secret that's going on, and everybody knows what was said. <laughs> and then a summary of that is prepared and coordinated around the interagency. So it, based on that narrative that I just described, it, it appears to me that Secretary Esper and Chairman of Joint Chiefs Milley are doing a responsible thing, not an irresponsible thing, in making certain that their Chinese counterparts, you know, who will grow up in a closed society and feed on each other's fears. There's not open democratic society where there's plenty of criticism every single day challenging your policy and positions, that it's easy for them to misinterpret. I mean, that's why uh, Milley has relationship with the with his Russian counterpart uh, as well for the same reasons that they build the relationship so that if something like this is happening, they can stop it from getting out of out of control. Uh, so that that's my assessment. Now I believe uh, General Miller should not wait for his testimony. It's 28 September, uh, Brian, and that's too far away. I mean, the, so many people are just running with the sensationalized story that he, he's got to come out and, and give his side of the story to the American people. And the sooner he does that, uh, the better. And then, of course, you know, take all the questions uh, from the senators. I mean, they have very legitimate concerns about what took place in Afghanistan, and, and uh, General Milley needs to answer those concerns, certainly, and they'll have concerns about this. But I think the sooner General Milley gets out and, and, and tells his side of the story, uh, the better it will be. I think the American people deserve to hear it. Yeah, I also think the the thing that I'd factor in is the acting director, Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, didn't hear anything of it uh, and is critical of it. And President Trump didn't know anything of it and called him a nut job. So well, if let me it, tell you something else here before you, we yeah. go off on that tangent. Uh, the second phone call, from what I understand, was initiated. This is two days after uh, <clears throat> the fiasco on January the 6th. The Chinese initiated that call not the United States, to uh, the assistant secretary, to the acting secretary of defense's policy person. So he, he doesn't know that's happening. I'm, I'm surprised by that. And, and obviously that policy person, I don't know his name. I'm sure it's the same one that uh, likely made the, the call uh, in the first place back in October. Uh, but it may not be because there was a lot of transitions taking place in the Defense Department in the last days of the Trump administration, if you remember. Uh, but that call was made initiated by the Chinese. And from what I understand, Millie's second call uh, was also initiated by the Chinese. And they went through the same process again to prepare for it before he you know, set the call time and a memo was shared uh, after that which certainly changes uh, the narrative that somehow the Pelosi phone call is related to Millie initiating the call to the, to the Chinese. So there's a lot of misinformation running around here. And that is why I am saying that uh, Millie's got to come forward and just 
tell his story. Because on the first book that came out, he goes, I don't talk about books. And maybe he had that luxury to say it in the first one. I don't remember the exact allegation in it. But this one was, I think he, I agree with you. He just got to straighten it out. And if it is true, because there's a lot of people think these are direct quotes from him, then he should say it. Uh, I thought the president was in mental decline. Uh, cognitive decline was the quote. And I had to act. All right. If I'm Joe Biden and he did do that, I'm a little worried because there's a lot of people think he's in cognitive decline. Does General Milley feel as though he could do that? So these are some of the questions. Uh, if they see that Joe Biden is making some things like forgetting the names of people who are important or what, what town he's in. But, General, I want to bring you to something else that came out. Uh, also yeah, sure. in that book and Fox News original reporting shows that General Miller, who is the commanding general in the gun in Afghanistan, told the president things will decline a lot quicker than intelligence reports say and not to leave all of it, not to take all of our troops out. Secretary of State Blinken, in meeting with NATO allies in March, said that they are expressing concern about the speed in which we're pulling out and want us to use leverage to get a better negotiated deal. And General Austin expressed the same thing to the president. Now, I know you have great sources, but now this is out. Fox News confirming it, and in the book they have some of this. Joe Biden's an island here. I don't know who is in support of this, if this is all true. Well, we said from the beginning, I, 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 I describe President Biden's decision uh, because it's his decision as this self-righteous stubbornness where he believes he's the smartest guy in the room on foreign policy. And I, I believe he's owned this right from the beginning. And now we're, we're facts are coming out that even the secretary of state had concerns about a complete withdrawal. He certainly knew that the Europeans didn't agree with it. He certainly knew his generals didn't agree with it. He certainly knew the intelligence community didn't agree with it. And you're right. This is his decision. And the president needs to be held accountable for the, the disaster that has unfolded, turning over uh, an entire country to a terrorist organization uh, that enabled the attack on 9-11 it is an absolute uh, disgrace. Uh, that six-page report that, you know, you, that the, the, you were one of the first to see it and now it's out, that uh, this was the deal, the rough outline of a deal of us getting out of Afghanistan, the way the Secretary of State, and I don't know how much you were able to watch, said that basically we're boxed in. We had to go by this agreement. We had no choice to break it. That shows over two days he was totally insincere in saying it because there were a million ways to extend that deal, oh, and there were a million God. violations. He had no obligation to actually accept it, uh, so he could change it. And that was a terrible deal, Brian. I mean, I, I understand people's concerns here, but the the, the fact is— uh, we made a deal with the Taliban that had absolutely no teeth in it. It clearly favored them. They 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 forced Ghani to give up 5,000 of, of prisoners, and some of the worst of the worst were in that 5,000. Ghani was fighting that tooth and nail. He he told me, he said, Jack, if, if I give up these prisoners, he said, the morale in my force is just going to go down completely. He said, they, most of these prisoners that are in there now – we put in there during the last seven years when we've been doing all the fighting. He says, we're going to release them again. I'm going to have problems with my own security forces. And boy, did he ever. And also when, he, when we pulled, off, pulled out the air support as well. That was a lousy deal. It had no teeth in it. Who would ever believe that the Taliban were going to power share with the Afghan government? Uh, makes no sense. What the deal, if you're going to make a deal, it should have had, here's what it should have had. One, a ceasefire. Uh, and that's part of the deal. Two, 
we're not pulling anybody out unless there's a peace agreement, and then we see enforcement of a peace agreement over time, and then we'll consider pulling our people out. In other words, Afghan, Afghanistan is stabilized. The war is not functioning anymore. Now the United States is wanting to make an exit, but that's not the deal uh, that President Trump signed, and I, th- I thought it was misguided. And here's something else people don't know. Yes, the United States uh, was not attacking the Taliban. The Taliban was not attacking the United States. But the Taliban, in accordance with the deal, had permission to attack the Afghan security forces, and we could only provide air support when the U.S. was involved in that. And the Taliban went way out of their way to make sure they were pounding Afghan security forces and the United States was not involved. So think of that. For two years, they're not getting air support on any consistent basis. And the casualties they took in those two years were the greatest number of casualties in the 20-year experience. They had over 10,000 killed in each one of those years. That's 20,000 out of the 66,000 killed entirely. That is dramatically significant. That conditioned the Afghan security forces, Brian, conditioned them for what it would be like if the United States pulled out completely. So when Biden says, uh, makes the decision in, in April of 2021 that we're going to pull out, the Afghans said, well, if the United States isn't going to support this government, we're not going to fight for it. I think that the security forces in Afghanistan were closer to the United States military than they were to their own government. And when we, because we trained them and we fought side by side with them. And when we, when we pulled the rug out, they just gave up. They said, we're done. We don't have any chance to succeed here against the Taliban with no air support. General Jack Keene, our guest. And General, there's a story in USA Today. Uh, Zal Khalazad, who you know well, uh, then Afghan uh, President Ashraf Ghani, Ghani, you just referenced, his decision to flee the country on August 15th torpedoed the 11th hour deal the U.S. had brokered to keep the Taliban out of Kabul for at least two weeks. That, according to Khalazad, uh, uh, when Khalazad said he had no inkling that Ghani was intending to flee, he said the Afghan leader's decision prompted the city's security forces to disband, creating a security vacuum and unleashing the chaotic bid to evacuate. Quote, there were questions of law and order in Kabul and Ghani fled. The Taliban said, are you going to take responsibility for Kabul now? And then you know what happened. We weren't going to take responsibility, so they did. We only wanted the airport. Your, your take on his take. Well, um, listen, I know Zal very well. I, when he showed me the deal, I, I thought it was a surrender document, and I told that to his face, and, and, and shameful. Listen, um, whether the United States... Um, was going to secure Kabul or not, I don't think we would do such a thing. Whether we were going to try to maintain some level of control, uh, that's another issue. I, I think going through General McKenzie's mind, that would take a lot of people to do that. But I am of the mind that, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to do the airport, uh, in other words, you're going to exit out of that airport, then you have to have proper security. And just manning the walls is not proper security. You've got to get out in front of that. And United States troops should have been out on an outer perimeter and making certain that we had security control points uh, so that no one could get near the walls, so no one could get near our people. That should have been, that that should have taken place for sure. I mean, just looking at that, you know, from my years' experience as a, as an infantry guy, uh, I'm sure that the infantry guys wanted to do that. But I I believe uh, those those decisions. 
I don't agree with that we weren't providing that out of security. And I don't agree with the decision that we should, uh, that we didn't extend the deadline to get all of our people out. And, and that, that the, the administration and the Pentagon and the state department need to answer to the, to the Congress of the United States for those decisions. I think general Jack Keane, thanks and so I, much. I got to run, yeah. Brian. I know Thank you, you do. Thanks general. Appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, take your calls, Brian, kill me, Joe. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. When our leader put that out there and pointed the finger like we're the demons, I'm not vaccinated. I had COVID. You're not going to tell me about my body. I know my body. I know my morals. I know my faith. You don't come telling me and threaten me and everyone else as if we're the demons. I have two close friends right now, fully vaccinated, and they got COVID and they're both sick. This is not about safety, because if it was, you'd just like you said, and I said in my video, eat more fruit, take care of your body, go to the gym. I've been saying that forever. You would have thought I called people savages for doing that. And Jim Brewer's talking about being a stand-up comedy uh, comedian. He's a was a writer, performer, uh, player on SNL. But his stand-up, he sells out everywhere. And uh, he's been on on Fox News before. But last night he joined Tucker because he decided that if you're going to mandate as a comedy club owner, or arena run, uh, or somebody who's going to manage an arena, who's going to book him. They were putting up signs that said you have to be vaccinated. He didn't want that responsibility. Everyone's got to be vaccinated to go see him in a theater, really? You're not going to force him and put him in the middle of that. That's not going to happen. So we said, that's it. I'm can't anybody who's forcing my audience to get vaccinated, I will not be there. And he canceled it. And I think he saw a couple of events in New Jersey. Other people say, I will not perform in front of an unvaccinated crowd. I mean, that's up to you. But... You know, deal with Howard Stern, Jimmy Kimmel. He thinks you're the the devil incarnate if you're not vaccinated, let alone if you had it already. Jim Brewer, I don't know if he was in this cup, but he says, I had it already. I'm not getting vaccinated. And if you look at some of the studies, natural immunity more effective than the than the vaccination, which wears off, according to the study I just saw, uh, 30% after six months. That's what they're finding in Israel. Because why are they finding in Israel? Because we're not doing our own studies. So it's kind of crazy. Meanwhile, uh, go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, uh, I'm going to have the President of Freedom Fighter Tour. I'm going to be in Charleston, West Virginia, November 7th. I'm going to be in Orlando, Florida, November 21st. Ponte Vedra, Florida, December 3rd. Clearwater, Florida, December 4th. Winning the war on history. I'm going to talk about Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. Uh, and also tell you what's wrong with 1619 Project. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. John Roberts with us in a matter of moments. Dave Rubenstein coming up shortly. Uh, Dave is a uh, co-founder of the Carlisle Group and host of, of a... Uh, of an important show, The Dave Rubenstein Show, and author of a brand new book called The American Experiment, Dialogues on a Dream. We need to hear something good about this country. Some special people I'll weigh in on great moments in American history from um, John Meacham to Walter Isaacson to David McCullough. It's as good as it gets. Uh, we're monitoring a series of events going on. We're trying to see uh, when we're going to hear from General Milley over the controversial regarding some of his comments. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I can personally tell you again that when they come in our custody, we don't test them for COVID. We don't vaccinate them. We just release them into the United States. And so, you know, yeah. he's, he's requiring United States citizens to get vaccinated. But those people that are entering our country illegally, they don't have to get vaccinated. Uh, that's why people's head is ready to explode. It's an invasion. That's what one Border Patrol agent described what's happening at our southern border year to year from August to August. We have now gone up 300 percent in the amount of illegals crossing our border. 300 percent untested, unvaccinated, let into the interior of the country. And you're blaming Florida and governors for being irresponsible. Mr. President, find a mirror. Number two. I have great confidence in General Milley. Fury swirling in and around the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, over revelations not denied in a new Bob Woodward book that says he was working around, undermining, and showing more loyalty to China than Trump. We'll discuss. Number one. My old buddy Joe Biden has been about as dumb as a rock on foreign policy for 30 years. He's trying to blame the military. General Milley advised him to keep Bagram open and have troops on the ground, not to withdraw. It wasn't Milley who got us out of Afghanistan. It was Joe Biden. Uh, that is so true. And in sense, Senator Lindsey Graham, so many uh, outsiders tried to tell President Biden, do not leave Afghanistan rapidly. It will spell disaster. Now we find out he even ignored the predictions of his own team and even NATO expressed and requested he slow down the withdrawal because it could be a disaster. It was a disaster. Why did he do it and why did he lie? And John Roberts, as you join us now at America Reports, a lot of your show was eaten up by testimony with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Uh, saying over and over again, basically, it was the Trump plan I inherited. I had no choice. We had to get out. Uh, now we know that Anthony Blinken in March called up the president and said, our NATO allies want us to delay. And it was President Biden that was the one saying, get out August 30th. We will not be rolled. What does that say about the sincerity of Anthony Blinken's testimony? Well, it really seems to suggest that there's a big difference between what's said publicly and what is said privately, I mean, the fact that Jackie Heinrich is reporting this uh, out of the White House, the General Austin Miller, and there's Millers and Millies, and I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of people with very similar names. But General Austin Miller, who used to be the uh, chief of all ground forces in Afghanistan, recommended leaving a force of 2,500 there uh, and not pulling out. Uh, and, and now we're learning that uh, President Biden ignored that advice, too, and, and now Lloyd Austin apparently uh, had said that uh, it should have been a phased withdrawal as well. So you have to wonder, was the president listening to the advice of his closest advisors, both civilian and military, or was he merely listening to himself? Let's remember, Brian, that back in the Obama administration, Biden voiced a concern that presidents can get, quote, rolled by the military, at least he thought so, uh, so Biden might have wanted to ignore the military advice that was coming from General Miller and General Milley, but he was getting similar advice from his uh, civilian advisors. So I don't know who he was listening to about the best way forward in Afghanistan. Himself. And now we have uh, a cut from George Stephanopoulos. I want you to hear this. Now this makes a lot more sense. This was uh, dug up from about a month ago. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? 
No, not at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you no. We should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Okay, can he really not recall? <laughs> well, there was the caveat at the end there, Brian, that I can recall. I mean, maybe they did tell him and he forgot, but you would think something that important he would have remembered. Yes, you're being very kind. He was undeterred and explained in colorful language that he felt general strong arm former President Barack Obama to staying in Afghanistan. He ultimately said he would withdraw the remaining troops August 31st, saying that the setting conditions would only perpetuate an endless war in which the U.S. had achieved its objectives. Man, I wonder if he could do it again, if he wants that back. Or does he really think the American people are going to forget? What do you think? You know, I I, I don't know. You know, when you when you look into the suggestions that were made and and the analysis that is now coming up and, you know, a lot of it's hindsight, obviously, by some very learned people. And Mitt Romney raised the question the other day to Anthony Blinken. Why couldn't you have pushed back the timeline beyond August the 31st? Why did it have to be August the 31st? Was there this, quote, binary choice that Biden either had to get the U.S. troops out of Afghanistan or risk an all-out war with the Taliban? Uh, Many people that we've spoken to on, on my program have suggested that, no, it's not a binary choice, that the United States had the military might, that if it wanted to stay longer, it could have held the Taliban at bay or just told the Taliban, basically, back off. We've got to do this, and we've got to do it in a way that's right, not in a way that ends in chaos, uh, with 13 uh, service members dead and dozens, if not hundreds, of Americans left behind in Afghanistan after the precipitous withdrawal. I want to bring you to this USA Today story before I get you to weigh in on what's going on with General Milley, if it's all right. Uh, USA Today has a report from Ambassador Kalazad. They did an interview, and, uh, and he essentially said that the whole thing fell apart. The deal fell apart when Ghani left. Uh, they were supposed to take their time. He said when Ghani's decision to flee the country on August 15th, it torpedoed the 11th-hour deal the U.S. had brokered to keep the Taliban out of Kabul. He told the Financial Times this. He had secured an agreement under which Ghani would remain in Kabul and the Taliban fighters would not enter Afghanistan while diplomats negotiated a political transition of power in Qatar. But when he fled and left Kabul alone and U.S. refused to take over security, that's when the Taliban moved in. Uh, if Khalizad is if this is his brainchild, and it seems to be, he deserves tremendous responsibility for this disaster. But you you know these players. What do you think the facts are? You think that's factual? Well, there's no question that Gahani wanted to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. When 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 he saw the potential for the Taliban to take over Kabul after the Afghan forces had basically just melted into the background, much the same way. You'll remember during the Iraq war, Saddam Hussein's forces, for the most part, did the same thing. They took off their uniforms and threw them away or burned them, changed into civilian clothes and just kind of melted into the populace. Gahani looked at what was coming down the pike and said, I'm out of here. There was was some feeble explanation that he did it to avoid bloodshed, probably his own, I would think, that he was referring to. But, But, Brian, you know, we have just talked to so many people who think that this could have come off so differently yep. if the United States had have begun to get people out of the country, if the United States had a fully listened, or at least the Biden administration had a fully listened to the intelligence, had fully listened to the recommendations, 
and that the, the president had not said, we're out on the 31st, that's it, lock, stock, and barrel, end of story, get it, ha- get it done, make it happen. I want to bring you to this story with uh, General Milley calling up China, two conversations, because you really knew what was going on uh, with the Trump administration. I think his worst moments were after the election leading to the inauguration. And he says the, the, the report is, and I get evidently it's in the book, that General Milley feared that Trump was suffering serious mental decline. Was that conventional wisdom among those uh, in the military or those in and around him that weren't necessarily on the Trump team? Uh, you know, I, I don't have a tremendous amount of insight in, into all of that. Uh, you know, obviously, there are people in the Pentagon who were questioning President Trump's foreign policy, questioning what his reaction was going to be and what his actions might be, uh, you know, trying to prop up what he believed was, you know, a, still an election victory against all evidence. Uh but I can't really speak to what the overall sentiment was there at the Pentagon. I've had some private conversations with people, Brian, but those those need to remain private. And um, I, I really can't go any further than that. Do you believe that um, do you believe that that Millie's going to pay a price for this or is he just going to float right through? Well, if he continues to have the support of President uh, Biden, I think he'll probably. Uh, survive all of this. Uh, if it's determined that he he talked to his Chinese counterpart just about the fact that, hey, don't worry about things. Uh, you're looking at the situation now, but it's all status quo. There's there's you know nothing afoot here. Don't worry about it. If it was sort of like a, a line of almost deconfliction, if you will, that's one thing. But if he did tell Lee, look, if there's any attack that's pending. Uh, from the United States toward China, I will let you know. I'll give you a heads up. That's a completely different matter. Now, we don't know if that is the case. Bob Woodward alleges that that's Bob Woodward and Bob Costa allege that that's the case. But we don't know for sure. And we'll see if, if Milley makes it long enough to this hearing on the 28th before the Senate Armed Services Committee, we'll likely get a fuller picture of what was going on. But at least that October 30th phone call looks like that was at the behest of then-Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Uh, Woodward and Costa claim that Chris Miller, who became the acting sec dev, knew about the call. Miller denies it. But then there was that call that was made on January the 8th. And Miller says that he never would have authorized Milley to make such calls. Was Milley still working off of the imprimatur that was given to him by uh, Mark Esper? Did he freelance it? You know, it, 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 probably the October 30th call is not a problem for him. What could be a problem is the January 8th call. And the quote, it's a quote. And Marco Rubio is among the people, and some others said this. It looks like he cooperated directly. General Kellogg told me he cooperated. He said, "I yeah, uh, Woodward's people called me. I, I gave them a quote. That was me. And the quote yeah. is, General Lee, Lee, you and I have known each other for five years now. I'm going to call you ahead of time. Uh, if I'm going to, if we are going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Wow. Yeah, if that is the case and that actually happened, that could be very problematic. But did it did it happen? You know, a lot of times these are third-hand quotes that go into these Woodward books. Did he say it that way, or 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 did he say, look, you know, if we're going to attack, don't worry, you'll be the first to know. I, you know, who knows exactly what went down, Brian? I think we're just beginning to peel back the layers of this onion. But if it did come off in that way, I would suggest that. 
Miller's got some problems. And, John, the other thing is a lot of times so we know now that Woodward tapes a lot, and he, he tell that to Trump. So if he, he comes does, out yeah. and says it never <laughs> happened and Woodward goes, oh, yeah, uh, then yeah, it's over. The yeah. Lastly, it turns out President Biden had a 90-minute conversation roughly with President Xi of China, at which time he asked him basically for a summit or a meeting, and they said no. You factor in what happened a couple of weeks ago when Chinese officials uh, made it clear that they kind of humiliated Secretary of, I don't know what he is, climate change, Kerry, when he visited China. Uh, he evidently got a meeting on a video call, even though he was in China with a junior official, uh, rather than an in-person meeting. And yeah, yet he would meet one-on-one with the Taliban. Yeah. yeah, and then there was this initial meeting uh, in, in Anchorage. Well, don't forget, China wants to become the dominant uh, trading partner with the, the Taliban. They, they'd love to take over the Bagram Air Base. They've got designs in Central Asia that fit into their Grand Belt and Road uh, plan that the United States does not factor into because the United States is an impediment to that. Uh, and for she to tell Biden, no, I, I'm not going to meet with you. I mean, that is just such an in-your-face rejection. Uh, you know, I think if Trump ever said to she, we've got to meet, she would be like, where and when I'll be there. Uh, so, I mean, it's pretty clear that China does not fear this administration. China does not respect this administration. Uh, it had problems with the Trump administration. You know, the relationship was good at the beginning. I remember being there at Mar-a-Lago for the first meeting between she yep. and Trump. The relationship has clearly gone way, way downhill, went way downhill with President Trump after that. But it was Trump who was basically saying, I don't have time for Xi. I don't want to meet with him. I'm really angry at him. I don't know what I'd say to him if I met with him. But now the, the shoe's on the other foot, and it's China who's driving the bus here. And it doesn't look good. And when you combine that with everything that's happened in the last few weeks, Brian, with the Taliban basically dictating terms to the United States, and now China, you know, thumbing its nose at, at Biden— you got to wonder where America's going here in terms of foreign policy. Absolutely. John Roberts, we look forward to seeing you today between uh, 1 and 3. Uh, you got we, me fired up, Brian. I'm I know. You're ready, to, ready go. to go. I know. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it, John Roberts. Thanks for kicking us off this hour. All right. You bet. Good to talk to you. Hey, when we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I, I remember sitting there with the FBI agent and, and him trying to convince me that it wasn't that bad. Not only did the FBI not report my abuse, but when they eventually documented my report, 17 months later, they made entirely false claims about what I said. It truly feels like the FBI turned a blind eye to us and went out of its way to help protect USAG and USOPC. To be clear, sorry. Take your time. To be clear, I blame Larry Nasser, and I also blame an entire system that enabled and perpetrated his abuse. Yeah, I mean, this was unbelievable yesterday. I was trying to watch while I was still doing the show and then after. But that was the testimony of Michaela Maroney, uh, Simone Biles. Uh, that was also uh, Ali Raisman, all talking about the abuse under this Larry Nasser, uh, As evil as it gets, he's, uh, he's serving uh, 25 lifetimes or 100 lifetimes in prison. That's not the point. Uh, the point is they went to the FBI. They went to their parents. They went to their coaches. They reported them. Nobody did anything. They give their testimony to the FBI. The guy writes a report and changes it. 
How do you do that? And and then that then they're forced to go in front and tell these stories in vivid detail. Obviously painful. Why wouldn't it be? What are they doing it for? And then Chris Ray comes out and goes, I feel terrible about that. Who's going to fix it? And by the way, James Comey's FBI, this was as early as 2015. James Comey's FBI again. I mean, did they do anything right under his leadership? How do you change the testimony of a USA gymnast? Please tell me where the power player is here. Who got paid off? Why would anyone just screw screw with the testimony of, of young women who are claiming that they're being molested? And they, all the stories are the same. I don't get the angle. Now, people keep saying, well, for the Harvey Weinstein people, they're the most powerful people in Hollywood, Hollywood, the biggest industry in the country. They use their, their powers of persuasion and all the people that they know to squelch these actors and actresses. I know that. But I don't see that here. He's a Michigan State doctor. USA Gymnastics is relevant internationally every four years. Where's the power of not doing things right? Not that I would ever excuse it. But I just don't see why these girls had it so hard and they allowed another generation to get abused because they didn't help this one. And Simone Biles, he's one of the reasons we came, she came a part of the Olympics. She couldn't even travel with any family because of the pandemic. She needed some support. She never gets it. Totally let down. David Rubenstein is on when we come back on a different note. We talk about American history with some of the best historians in the world. The American Experiment. Don't move. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, the Keep in mind, too, uh, we have a lot coming up. We have more to know in about 15 minutes. But right now, let's bring in Dave Rubenstein, co-founder of the Carlisle Group. Uh, and he's got a brand-new book. It's called The American Experiment, Dialogues on a Dream, featured in the book as some of the best historians in the world in the country, uh, Madeleine Albright, Ken Burns, Henry Louis Gates Jr. on Reconstruction, John Meacham on Civil Rights, David McCullough on The Wright Brothers, a book he wrote about, Billie Jean King on sports. Uh, just some of the things you'll see in The American Experiment. Uh, Dave, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Dave, what gave you this idea? I'm sorry? What gave you this idea to do the book? What, what, what made me do it, you yep. say? Well, I, I had a number of interviews, and I just thought it would be a good idea to kind of pull together what it was about America that made us so unique. This book is about what makes Americans different than all the other uh, people in the world. We have these qualities, I call them genes, and these are the people, uh, these are the qualities that make us so distinctive. So as you go through, for example, Ken Burns is out now. He's got the Muhammad Ali documentary. We know that he's in the Civil War, kind of done the history of baseball. Ken Burns actually did his series on war in particular. You don't make it out that America's perfect. But what makes, uh, for example, with Ken Burns, what what comes out of his section? I did it on his uh, 10-piece part on the Vietnam War which I lived through, and that was a quite a traumatic time in the United States. And he points out that it was probably known to the leaders of our country that we could not win that war militarily, but it was a political uh, engagement. And uh, sadly, uh, 58,000 Americans lost their lives in what really was a political effort to kind of not lose a war, but we, uh, we, we really had no chance of winning that militarily, the, the presidents knew at the time. Solidly, uh, almost at the same time, we have the civil rights. And even though the Vietnam War kind of swamped it to a degree uh, with LBJ and John Meacham, you select him to talk about civil rights. What do you yes. think emerges from the 60s? Well, from the 60s, we obviously went through the tr- tr- 
two traumatic things, the Civil Rights Revolution and, and the Vietnam War, and really the loss of innocence by many people because people began to believe the government wasn't telling them the truth. Really, for the first time in decades, people began to criticize the government for not telling the truth about the Vietnam War and later, obviously, about Watergate. But then John Meacham's book is about John Lewis and how he was a young man in the Civil Rights Revolution, was beaten up and knocked unconscious many times, imprisoned many times, but fought back and ultimately led uh, the effort to, to get the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. Walter Isaacson was selected by Steve Jobs to be his definitive biographer. I think he knew he was struggling with his health at the time and said, be as brutally honest as possible. Uh, is, is that why he was perfect for the innovation section? Well, he's written about geniuses. He wrote about Leonardo da Vinci. He wrote about Einstein. He wrote about a political genius, you could argue a government genius, Henry Kissinger. He wrote about Steve Jobs, or Benjamin Franklin, and now he's writing about Elon Musk. So he has a focus on people that are very creative, very, very, very smart. And, and in this book, I interviewed him about uh, all the innovators who helped to produce the things like the uh, smartphone, the internet, um, the so social media devices we have, and, and how creative the United States is in coming up with people over and over again who invent these incredible things that make our economy move forward. What is it about the American experiment that allows that innovation to take root so often? This is a country that really allows entrepreneurship to move forward. In some countries, entrepreneurship is not encouraged. In this country, it is encouraged, and it's part of our genes. It's part of what makes America so unique. From from the beginning of the, top, the country's history, we've always had entrepreneurs, inventors who are coming up with great things that have moved the country forward, and we're the envy of the world in that respect. Do you worry that maybe there's so much built into the system that we might be losing that that type of frontierism, that type of innovation, that type of drive? I worry that uh, we have more competition than we used to have. I think China is a big competitor in this area. And I do worry that sometimes government comes along and says, hey, you're making too much money, you're having too much fun, you're creating new things we don't know how to deal with, uh, and maybe we'll shut you down or we won't encourage you. That is a concern. But at the moment, I think generally we have still a great uh, interest in entrepreneurship in this country and uh, encourage it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe the most prominent historians of uh, this generation is David McCullough. Could have selected a lot of things with him, John Adams in particular, uh, Harry Truman. But you focus on the Wright brothers. Well, the Wright brothers were people who were ignored in our country to some extent. They, they were two bicycle manufacturers who, who really had no aeronautical training. They spent about $1,000. They never had college degrees. They went to Kitty Hawk. They invented the way we fly now. And uh, they, nobody in this country took them seriously for a while. They had to go to France to prove that they were really able to do this. And eventually people in, this, in the United States brought them back and encouraged them to keep doing this thing. It's really a lesson in, in, in persistence and entrepreneurship. Absolutely. We're talking with David Rubenstein. He's with, he wrote The American Experiment, put together a, uh, a selection of experts in different areas of the, of the American Experiment over 200-plus years and going. Uh, the Billie Jean King in sports, no doubt about it, in terms of female sports, which she's done. She do, I, I'm, I'm heartened by the fact she does get the respect she deserves. Did she welcome this opportunity? Yes. I mean, remember, she was a great tennis player and, and unusual in that she came from a blue-collar background. Typically, people came from wealthier backgrounds who were tennis stars. Uh, but she also, um, she fought for equal rights for women to get the same pay as men in, in major tournaments. And also she exposed herself in terms of what her sexual preference was at a time that that was very, very unusual for a professional athlete. Henry Louis Gates uh, Jr., he's got that series on PBS, but you also, he talks about Reconstruction and the failure of Reconstruction in so many ways, a brutal time in American history after the Civil War. 
Yes. Uh, if Abraham Lincoln had lived, I think Reconstruction would have been better, not perfect. But Andrew Johnson was really not in favor of uh, freeing the slaves, I think, honestly. At all. And, th- and therefore, I think he really uh, encouraged the, the, the reemergence of, uh, of the kind of uh, treatment of blacks that was really before we had freed the slaves. He, he, it was Slavery didn't exist, but it really was like slavery, where we didn't let blacks really uh, get the rights that they were entitled to under the Constitution. Separate but equal. Uh, so uh, with that, as we go through our past, I noticed like one of the quotes from LL Cool J, the book, fo- uh, the book that forces America to look into the mirror, it's reality pill. Um, you could talk about where we were and where we are and still talk about America in a positive light, but talk about some of the brutality and mistakes we made along the way. Well, the country we, we live in now is the greatest country on the face of the earth, and people want to come to this country. We have 46 million immigrants in this country. No other country has as many immigrants. That doesn't mean the country's perfect. And we, Originally, we had slavery. We then didn't let women vote for, for many, many years in our country's history. We didn't let people have the civil rights that they were entitled to under the Constitution. We didn't let people have their sexual preferences without being penalized. It was a really difficult time for people to exercise their freedoms and their desires in this country. We are not perfect still, but I still think we, we, we have progress to go, but we've made a lot of progress. Does it worry you, uh, David, when you see people with ropes around the Andrew Jackson statue with deciding to take down uh, Abraham Lincoln off a of grammar school, Thomas Jefferson off the campus of William and Mary. Do these things bother you? Well, they do. I mean, remember, it's one thing to honor somebody that was a slave owner, and that's the principal thing that he was responsible for. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. He was our third president. George Washington was our first president and really responsible for this country coming to being. So I think you have to look at somebody's totality and don't just say, well, they were a slave owner and therefore destroy everything that they stood for. Does it worry you that we got, we got to this point? I never thought we'd get to this point. I never thought George Washington was perfect. Thomas Jefferson was perfect. I never thought James Madison was perfect. But I look at some of the incredible things they did and their role they played in making America a country, you know, a success. And yes, it, it seems like this generation has become quite judgmental on America. We're looking for perfection, and there are no humans that are perfect. And so I do think while we had slave owners who were our first presidents, we, we had greater things that came out of their existence than just the fact that they were slave owners, and we should recognize that. You should learn the good and the bad of history, but you shouldn't turn away from people that were good just because they might have done something bad. What do you think's changed? Why, why now? Why now are we examining this? Well, there's an era of political correctness that is something that our founding fathers probably didn't anticipate what happened. And, and people are looking for perfection in some ways. And, and there's a political uh, fight between the left and the right that is really, really, at this point, worse than almost anything I've seen since uh, the Civil War. And, and how do you think this comes out, the American experiment? Is this just going to be one of those chapters where there's turbulence and we get right. through it? Or do you think America changes? I, I think there will have to be some uh, something that will happen, happen, have to happen to unite us more. Right now, we're very bitterly divided. Congress doesn't really do anything bipartisan. The country is really split down the middle. It's a sad situation. I don't know what will resolve it, but I don't see anything in the short term that's going to end what we have now. Uh, the American Experiment, name of the book. Uh, thanks so much, David Rubenstein. Thanks Thank so much you. for joining us. Congratulations on the book and your incredible career. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, Dialogues on a Dream. Uh, go pick it up. Uh, find out uh, more about our, our country. Meanwhile, uh, as we go back to what's happening right now in the country, you talk about divided. Absolutely. But I also want to talk about this. In terms of what we picked up from the recall election, I don't think anything. I mean, you have Gavin Newsom who decided, I uh, who, who's 
who's a citizens of California decided he's doing so terrible, I want to recall him. So you get 2 million signatures, they recall him. He's got to spend $82 million, raise it anyway. I don't know where all that money is. And to keep his job for four years, and now people are saying, wow, he's got a bounce in his step. I don't see it. To me, it's not like he got four more years and had to work hard. To me, he's just got to fulfill his four years, and it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment you got to call on Netflix. An embarrassment you got to call on all your big-time donors, uh, the people at Facebook. And you still had a fight uh, for your life. In August, he was in deep trouble. But just fast-forwarding to others around the country, what did they run on? Run on anti-Trump. That, to me, means nothing because that might work. In California, which has got two to one Republicans, excuse me, Democrats over Republicans. Well, okay, Larry Elder would have had an uphill battle in every sense of the word. The way the current uh, election system works, the way the Republicans try to focus on uh, white suburban voters, and the way uh, so many Democrats feel as though they have locked up the minority vote until things change. I was stunned to see this. Among the people that are clearly going to run for president, I'm not sure how many are going to run if Trump runs, but let's run for president. Mike Pompeo, it seems certain. Governor DeSantis, it seems certain. Nikki Haley, I would bet my life on him. Kirstie Noem, I think it probably a 70% chance. But in the backdrop, he's been kind of quiet because of what happened on January 6th, is Mike Pence. He's positioning himself as a 2024 frontrunner, no doubt about it. Get this. He has raised a whopping $18 million, according to Axios. Why does that matter? Donald Trump, the early Republican favorite, has made it clear that he probably will not run with Mike Pence. Now, I cannot see Mike Pence running, former governor of Indiana, congressman from Indiana, if he doesn't run. But in terms of a guy who's got experience and respect amongst the right, among the religious right as well, is Governor Mike Pence. I mean, he's not going to light you up like Bill Clinton with a speech or Barack Obama with a speech. I get it. I understand it. He probably will not pack, uh, sell out uh, big fields and stadiums like Donald Trump. But I think he does have the right kind of sealed up. I'm pretty sure he can handle almost every issue. We've watched him debate Kamala Harris and others uh, over the years. I don't think he's going to have a problem with any of this. But donors at a recent retreat in Wyoming were asked to chip in a percentage of the largest sum, and they did. People think he's got uh, think he's got potential. No doubt about it. Mike Pompeo lost looks about 60, 70 pounds. If you've seen him. He's been no he's been not shy about contributing. He's a contributor here at Fox News about running. The other one is Governor Chris Christie. He went out and gave a speech at the Reagan Library, at which time he never used Donald Trump's name, but he did talk about the need to get over the election, which Donald Trump lost. He talked about January 6th. Uh, He did not talk about uh, President Trump in particular. I think they're friends. But he said also he makes no apologies. He wanted to help him out as much as possible, especially since he won, and he was clear he wasn't going to win. And on top of that, he said, I didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. But Governor Christie is someone who won't back off. I'm not sure him and Donald Trump kind of siphon off the same people. They have very similar styles. Uh, Trump, uh, uh, you know, Trump goes on instinct in business. Chris Christie's got his experience in law as well as running a state. He's got the political experience. He's got the fundraising apparatus. We'll see what can happen. But there's six or seven strong candidates for 2024. But I look for all of them to see what kind of traction they have and backing they they've acquired by what they can do in 2022 in some key districts. If they if Republicans don't find a way to take at least one chamber, uh, the House or Senate, I don't see any way this country will welcome in. uh, Well, we'll look at all the same. Uh, uh, judging by what we're looking at with this reconciliation package, this infrastructure deal, and the foreign policy disasters that we're looking at. It's imperative that they win something and then line them up for 2024. they got a lot more talent than the left, I'll tell you that. 
even if there are a lot more Democrats than Republicans. When we come back, we find out if there's more to know. Also, go to BrianKillMe.com and find out where I'll be. Tickets available from Ponte Vedra to Clearwater to Orlando to West Virginia. A fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. According to a new study, the average American sleeps poorly three nights a week. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's exactly why I took this job, to entertain people at 12.37 in the mornings, because I care, I care about you. That is James Corden. I'm watching him a little bit last night, and uh, he changed his format a lot. He used to have the come out, do a stand-up, then they used to do the montage, then go to his desk. Now, I think he got used to doing like a radio show. He just comes out, got the montage, he's sitting at his desk, does some news. Uh, and then I watched Jimmy Fallon. I don't know. It seems dead. It seems dead. Uh, it makes me wonder if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right, comedian and former SNL cast member Jim Brewer on the COVID-19 vaccine. Some arenas are saying if you want to see Jim Brewer get vaccinated, he's outraged by that. So anybody that did that, he canceled. Canceled. Listen to it. Listen to what he told Tucker last night. When our leader put that out there and pointed the finger, like we're the demons, I'm not vaccinated. I had COVID. You're not going to tell me about my body. I know my body. I know my morals. I know my faith. You don't come telling me and threaten me and everyone else as if we're the demons. I have two close friends right now, fully vaccinated, and they got COVID and they're both sick. This is not about safety because if it was, you'd just like you said, and I said in my video, eat more fruit, take care of your body, go to the gym. I've been saying that forever. You would have thought I called people savages for doing that. Yeah, and he just let him go. I don't blame him. He canceled gigs in Michigan and New Jersey. Some comedians won't do, won't perform in front of an unvaccinated crowd. He feels like I feel. I'm not going to tell somebody how to handle their medical condition. When I go to medical school, I'll let you know after I get a degree. Uh, Next, SpaceX first all-civilian crew takes off launching into space on a three-day mission to orbit the Earth, my favorite planet, in a capsule the size of a camper van. Listen. Copy, one alpha. They are now in orbit uh, around Earth. And where, and you can see so Elon Musk was there. He owned SpaceX. He seemed to be just as excited as everybody else. It was Jared Isaacman, uh, Sean Proctor, Chris Sombrowski, Haley Arshanel, who's a physician assistant at St. Jude's. Shortly after launch, the bottom part of the rocket detached, and it was headed back down to Earth. That's kind of cool. It happened last night, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, civilians in space now for a few days rather than just like going into or outer space and coming back down quickly. And listen to this. A powerhouse group of late night talk show hosts are coming together for a cause. Climate change. This is ridiculous. Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Trevor Noah, Seth Meyers, uh, Jimmy Fallon are getting together for a night of climate. September 22nd, an event that coincides with Climate Week in New York City has been created by Steve uh, Badal a former Daily Show and Patriot Act showrunner. So good. Now we know exactly where they stand. It's not going to be liberal at all. Right. We're going to take our private jets to go to a beautiful stage show. I'm sure it's going to be easily pro-American. 
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.